I'm reading from Matthew, the seventh chapter. And a certain centurion servant, verse two, who was dear to him, some translations say whom he loved, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, he begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this, they said, was deserving or he's worthy. Listen to the reason, verse 5, for he loves our nation and he has built us a synagogue. These are the elders of Israel saying this is why he's worthy. Is he loves the nation and he's built us churches, we would say. Then Jesus went with them and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. I am not worthy that you should enter into my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But speak the word, say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, come, and he comes, and one, go, and he goes, and one, do this and do that, and they do it. Listen to verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. It's the only place in all the Bible that's found. He marveled at him. It didn't happen for any of the disciples. It didn't happen for any of the miracles. It didn't happen for any other occasion in all the Holy Bible where God marveled at him, who was him? A centurion, a Roman soldier. He marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returned to the house and the servant was well who had been sick. This amazing story happened as Jesus walked off of preaching perhaps the most famous sermon he would ever preach, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon of Beatitudes. He had just taught one of the great themes of that message, to love your enemies, to do good to those who oppress you. And now he walks off of that sermon platform in the mountains of the northern part of Jerusalem. And he walks into his hometown of Capernaum and the elders of Israel come and they say, go to this Roman soldier's house and pray for his servant. Pray for him because he loves this country. Pray for him because he's given enormous resources and built us a synagogue. And he's not even one of us. He's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier, a part of the people who are oppressing and who are, are absolutely overstepping over and on us. And we are under their dominion and control. And Jesus had just taught, love your enemies. Jesus had just taught, pray for those who do wrong. And now it's kind of like, 
I guess he might have thought, well, I just preached that. I might as well go. But it's interesting that the thing that they came and said he's worthy of a miracle because he loves our nation. Number one, we ought to love Israel. Number two, and he's built our church. He, he's given of his enormous resources and we wouldn't have our synagogue without this man using the resources that, that, that he has. And a church is, our synagogue was just where the law was taught. It's just where the morality and the morals of the Old Testament were taught. The Ten Commandments were taught. The five books of the Old Testament were taught. And he liked that. He liked that better than the religion of the Romans. And what I want you to understand is I, there's, there's three quick things that caused this man to stand out. This is what great faith can do. That's what I'm preaching on. This is what great faith can do. This man had three things that caught the attention of Jesus and, called him to, and caused him to marvel. The word marvel means to be astonished. The word marvel means to be amazed and to stand in awe. One translation said to take the breath away. Can you imagine God in the skin of human man veiled in flesh was so moved, not by a preacher, not by a disciple, not by a rabbi, not by a scholar of the Torah, not by someone who, who, who performed great miracles, but a man who was not even, I want to call him a non-religious man, exercised so much faith in what Jesus, who he was and what he was able to do. That Jesus said, I'm not impressed with titles and I'm not impressed with religion and I'm not impressed with how many scriptures you can quote and how many praise songs you sing that you really don't mean because you really don't believe that God will do anything that he hasn't, that was beyond normal. But when he saw a non-religious guy look at him and say, don't come to my house, they said he's worthy, but he said, I'm not worthy. And the closer I get to you, because as Jesus started getting close to his house, the closer you get to Jesus, anything in you that's proud and anything in you that's arrogant and anything inside of you that says, I'm worthy, I look at me, I'm wonderful, God ought to bless me. I don't understand why you haven't answered my prayer. I did this, I gave my time, I did that, I did that, I did that. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you see your own sinfulness and the more you see his holiness and the more you understand... I'm not worthy. You're the worthy lamb that was slain. And everything I get, I deserve only because of your blood and the cross and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't deserve anything. Well, we've been going to church all these years and God ought to do something for you. don't deserve anything. All of your righteousness is his filthy rags. But when you look at him and you say, his blood deserves a miracle. His blood deserves my family being saved. His, on, his suffering on the cross absolutely is worthy of a healing in my life. Worthy is the lamb. And when this man, a non-religious man said, when Jesus was getting close to his house, notice what he loved. He loved his country. He loved the country that he was in. And I just want to pause and I want to say I still love America. I still love the red, white, and blue. 
I still get tears in my eyes when I see a mother get a flag and know that her son died for our nation. I still love the national anthem and I stand for it and put my hand on my heart. I'm not ashamed to say I love. This is the greatest nation in the world. There's none like it. He loved the nation he was in. Notice what else he loved. He loved the church and he gave to build it of himself. Boy, when you love the church and you love your nation, and I know in that text it was talking about the nation of Israel, but I don't think there's anything wrong, especially when you've had a week like we've had, that we remind ourselves with all of our bad history and flaws and mess-ups and injustices, this is still, all you gotta do is go to Afghanistan. All you gotta do is go to Haiti. All you gotta do is go somewhere in the world where there's no freedom like Russia, and you will appreciate the fact that we can raise our hands and we can speak the name of Jesus and not worry about our families being imprisoned or worse. Take a praise break and thank God for our nation. I love our nation and I love my church. Come on, do you love your church? I'm just gonna preach a minute. We better get up and get back in church. We better get up and announce with our physical presence, I love my church. And he loved his servant. What kind of person marvels Jesus, astonishes Jesus? Number one, a person who has great love for his country, for Israel, for not only that, but he loved, he, he, he loved the synagogue. He loved the church. He loved it. It was the center. We ought to, we ought to make church. It still ought to be something we cherish. And then... He loved his servant. I read something interesting this week when I was looking into this. A centurion was someone who was over at least 100 soldiers that were under him. A centurion in the Roman army was someone who was not allowed to be married. When he was elevated to that position, it meant that he would give up the right to be married and have a family because he knew eventually he would be sent to foreign soul because the Roman Empire was ever expanding and he would be required to stay and be stationed at that place for up to 20 years, never to come back home from that place that he had been assigned to. And so servants and people that he took with him became like family to them often one commentary said. They were their family. And so when one of his servants whom he loved got sick, he loved him. And Jesus was astonished and marveled at this man because of his great love, but secondly, his great humility. Because the elders said he's worthy. 
for you to go in his house and do a miracle. But the man said in the text, I didn't even feel worthy to come to you. And now that you're coming to me, I don't feel worthy that you would come under my roof. I got a sneaky suspicion. He probably was thinking to himself, I've got, I've got altars and images and statues to gods that I burn incense and make blood sacrifices to, just like all the Romans did. They're all in my home. They're all out in my yard and in my garden. I, I, I worship all kinds of gods. And he's a holy, he is God in the flesh. He is, I, I sense this is, this is the God of all gods, the king of all kings. And I'm not worthy that he would come in. That's humility. Humility says, Lord, I'm not worthy, but you're worthy. And then lastly, he had great faith. And when Jesus approached his house and they told him what the man said, he said, just tell him to speak the word only. And my servant will be healed. What he was saying was, I know who you are. And Jesus, the Bible said, did something that the angels couldn't make him do. The sun, the moon, the stars could not make him do. Nobody in the scriptures made him do. Nothing that happened in all of creation made him marvel. It never says after he created something or he did something or he performed some miracle and God marveled on his throne. The only time that God Almighty marveled is when he saw a non-religious man who recognized who he was behind that veil of flesh. Listen, and the power of his spoken word to do what he said it would do. And the Bible said that it took the breath away of Jesus for a moment. It stunned him. It astounded him. And God or Jesus marveled. He stepped back and said, wow. Not in all of Israel with all these religious people have I ever seen faith like this. The only thing that can make God be astonished and, and stun God and marvel God is a mere man who recognizes who he is and that the power of what he says, he can make it happen. And he said, go because your servant is healed. And they went back and the servant was healed. A non-religious man believed and it marveled Jesus. A mere man could make God almighty marvel. And when Jesus marvels, it ought to make us meditate on why. Anybody that can marvel God, blow God's mind, I want to know why. I want to know how can a, I mean, I, I fast 21 days, God doesn't marvel. 
I pray and read my Bible and bring my tithe, God doesn't marvel. And here's a guy who's not even half nothing. He's a non-religious guy, but he just believes. I love that God says, you don't have to impress me with your religious stuff. That's all good. It's disciplines. It's all, but it's all about believing in who I am and what I have promised you. Even when you're suffering, I can make it happen. Even when it doesn't look good, I can turn it around. Even when you have no answers and you have no, no hope almost, you still believe that makes God marvel. When Joshua fought five different armies and the sun started going down, that same spirit came on him and this brash captain looked up at the sun setting and he knew that I've got the enemy on the run and when the sun goes down, they're gonna get away and they're gonna keep coming back and attacking me and my family and my nation and my people. And so he prays a bold prayer in Joshua chapter 10. He said in the sight of all of Israel, he prayed, son, stand thou still and moon stand still. And the sun stood still about a whole day until the people had avenged themselves of their enemy. And there was no day like that before and after that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. The sun didn't make God marvel. A mere man who, who made the big ask, who had the boldness and the courage to look up at the sun and say to the sun that God created, I'm a man set under authority and I've got a name that I can call on. The God who hung that sun, I want you to make it stand still. And God stopped the universal orbit for one man. I don't know what's in orbit. I don't know what's moving and you think it's unstoppable. But when you stand up and you say, but Lord, I don't have to have you come into my house and see a vision of you glowy at night. You just send the word. You give me a promise and I'll take that promise and I'll go against all the orbit of everything coming around and I'll stand and say, stand still. Let the word come and bring to pass what God has promised. Somebody praise God that only you and I can make God marvel. I want you right now just to look over at somebody and pat your chest and say, I can make God be astonished. I can astonish Jesus. I can marvel God. I can this morning when I believe his word above what I see and what I feel. Glory. Listen to what the Bible said in Hebrews 11. By faith, we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God. So we understand that the things that are made are made of things which do not appear. Everything that is here is original. <laughs> and they appeared by things that we can't see. That's God. All things were created in heaven and in earth. All things were created for him and by him, visible and invisible. Whether there be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, he is before all things and he is 
and, he, and by him all things consist. How in the world can you marvel and astonish and stun and take away the breath of a God who just created it all? He just, he just opened his mouth and said, let there be and the spittle from his mouth created galaxies and this planet and he hung this earth on nothing Job said. He hung the world on nothing. You can't hang your hat on nothing but God took nothing, made it into something and then hung it on nothing. And then he turns around and spins his finger and all of a sudden everything's moving it's just really amazing when you think about it. This 8,000 mile wide ball that we call Earth rotating at 1,000 miles per hour while soaring around the sun at 67,000 miles per hour. And when you're standing or sitting still, even if you don't move for 24 hours and you just sit your blessed assurance in that seat, the whole time you have moved every 24 hours one and a half million miles a day. And the one who controls all things and spoke it and when he created it and he put it all out there, he never marveled about that. The magnificent earth full of mystery and beauty, sea life, plant life, uh, animal life, human life, the physical body, the earth is just his footstool. The star Teres is able to swallow up 64 million suns greater than the one sun that we have over Earth. The star Epsilon is 3,000 times the size of our sun. Our closest star to planet Earth is 26 trillion miles away. The furthest star is 59 trillion miles away. We are just a speck, planet Earth, in the big picture of all of God's creation. But none of that stuff marvels God. None of that stuff astonishes God. God is not impressed. As a matter of fact, this blows my mind. When God got ready to take credit for all creation, he, and, and, he, and he wanted to mention I made the stars too. This is what he said, he used five words. He made the stars also. No big deal. I created all living thing. And by the way, just as a footnote, I made the stars also. That's how big and bad I am. So nothing, nothing in this universe made God marvel. But when a man, when a woman, when a mother, when a dad, when a teenager, when a young person stands up and says, I believe what God has spoken to me, he's going to bring to pass. God says, oh, oh my goodness, I'm astonished. They believe it. They don't just say it, they believe it. They don't just sing it, they believe it. Does anybody want to astonish Jesus by believing his word? Woo. Hallelujah. When you stand and you say, Lord, I'm still confident. 
I don't see it, I don't feel it, I don't understand it, I don't have answers, but I'm still confident, I still trust you, I still praise you, I still honor you. You make Jesus Christ be astonished and stunned. Seas parting, the, the Red Sea becoming like jello. I'm sure there was a little snotty-nosed kid in the, in the children of Israel when they were walking through on dry ground that had to poke it one time. And it, was, it, was just, it would just tremble and shake like jello, standing up on both sides, and they're walking across. But God did not marvel. A donkey opened its mouth and, and preached to the prophet Balaam, and God did not marvel. A whale swallowed a man for three days and spit him up afterwards. And he came out like a, like a raisin with no hair and all, all shriveled up and, and came out preaching. No eyebrows. You know, all those acids had eaten everything away. And he's just, a, he looked like some kind of weirdo. But he repented. I would have repented if I saw that. But God did not marvel. An axe head doing the backstroke across the Jordan River and God did not marvel. A bush burning and lighting up in the wilderness and saying, take off your shoes, 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 shoes. You're standing on holy ground, ground, ground. I would marvel, but burning bushes didn't marvel God. 26,000 tons of manna every morning at the tent door of the Israelites for 40 years didn't marvel God. Water coming out of rocks didn't marvel God. Dead men being raised like Lazarus didn't marvel God. But when someone says, Lord, speak the word only, and I don't know how you're going to provide. I don't know how you're going to deliver. I don't know how you're going to work a miracle, but I believe in you and your ability to get it done. Come on, somebody with a shout of praise. The devil didn't think you'd come to church and praise God like you're praising him. That makes heaven marvel. Old Jehoshaphat got a bad, bad letter from Sennacherib. Evil king. He said, I've got 600 chariots of iron and I'm going to run all over you. And he sent it in a letter. He took the letter to the temple, put it on the altar, looked up to heaven and said, God, we, we got mail. Because <laughs> you put me here and I know you're good and I know you're faithful and I know you love me and I don't understand this attack. And I don't understand this letter. I don't understand this x-ray. I don't understand this news. I don't understand these dark days. But I know you're working all things together for the good. And so God said, well, I'll tell you what to do, Jehoshaphat. Take the praise singers and tell them to get out on the front line. Don't send any weapons with them. Just give them a tambourine and give them a harp and give them a violin, give them a guitar and a saxophone 
and, 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 and tell them to get out there and do nothing but talk about how good I am and how merciful I am and how I'm a generational God and my mercy endures from one generation to another. Don't care what the times bring. Don't care what the culture brings. Don't care what, time, what evil brings. Don't care what Antichrist wants to bring. Bring it on. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And the Bible said when they got out there and they started praising God, that's why what we're doing in here, it's more than the loud, annoying person behind you while you're trying to soak it all in. No, sometimes you don't understand. That's a former alcoholic. That's a former jailbird. That's a, that one on your right over there. Look at him. He's a former alcoholic. That one was a manic depressive. That one was lost. That one was sick and dying of COVID. But here they are in church this morning. You don't know why people are so noisy. You need to leave them alone. Maybe the Bible said rejoice with them that rejoice. Uh-oh. That means if anybody on your road starts rejoicing, you have a biblical mandate to jump in and say, I don't even know what we're shouting about, but let's go. Let's go. Let's go. That includes the balcony. Let's go. That includes coming and Spartanburg and Midtown. Let's go. Orange County. Gwinnett. Somewhere else. Stand to your feet. One of the most moving verses in the Bible to me is when the first martyr was being stoned named Stephen. As they were hitting him with stones, the same demon, demons never die, the same demon that hates Christianity, that is manifest with soldiers and with swords in their hands, making Christians on the beach get down and either deny Jesus Christ or be beheaded. And when Stephen was being stoned, the Bible said every other place in the New Testament, you check me out, where Jesus is found after the crucifixion, he's sitting at the right, he's in heaven and he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Only one time does it say different. And it's when Stephen's being stoned and he looked up and the heavens opened. And he saw Jesus, watch this, standing. You don't understand what I'm saying. When you stand up for Jesus, you need to hear this. When you stand up for Jesus, he'll stand up for you. But oh, man of God, when you stand up for Jesus, look out. God stands up for you. We have the ability to marvel and astonish and stun God and make heaven stand up. I heard a powerful story this week from a, from a great, great preacher friend of mine that texts and calls me every once in a while. And he said, he said that there was a missionary in his, in his ministerial group who went to Sri Lanka. So it's near, it's borders with India. So that's the way he told it. 
And he said, this pastor went there. They had never had a Christian church in this community. Never. Worshiping multiple gods, statues. If you've ever been there, you know, you know the culture. And this guy goes in and he's preaching Jesus' name and he's baptizing the believers in the holy river that's dedicated to all those gods. And they're getting saved and getting baptized and getting saved and getting baptized. And this is what he said happened. He said the priest in that area got so upset that they took poison and they snuck in in the cover of night and poured poison in his well. The water that they, only water they have to drink, to clean, to cook, to wash with, he po they poisoned the well. And someone, a sympathizer from, from, from the community heard about it and came at four in the morning and slid a note up under the door and said, don't drink the water, it's poison. And so that man called his bishop and he said, what am I gonna do? And the bishop said, let me pray about it. And he prayed about it and called him a few hours later. And he said, I found in 2 Kings chapter three, a story of poison water in the Bible. And God told the prophet to pour salt in the water and then to drink it. And he said, that's what I want you to do. <laughs> True story. I believe this man, I know this man, he, don't, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't make this up. He said his friend went home, got the phone call and told his wife and his children, they got on their knees, they prayed, they heard from heaven. Listen to this. He said they went outside and they pulled the bucket up and said that there were people that were watching and the priest had basically set up a, a little camp across the street having a celebration. And he pulls the water out and he says, in the name of Jesus, if I drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt me. And he drinks the water and his family drinks the water and nothing happened to him. The people were astonished, but wait a minute. A few months later, a massive drought hits that place and every well in the city, including all those priest wells, they all dried up. There was only one well that preacher called his bishop. He said, the whole city is lined up at my church every morning wanting water. What happened? One man heard a word from God and he stood on it and he astonished and marveled heaven and God said, I'll stand by that man. I'll stand by that woman. I'll stand by that grandmother. I'll stand by that mother, that son that takes a stand on what God has promised. Throw your hands up all over this room and with a mighty praise, begin to cry out for your family. Cry out for our city. Cry out for our nation. Or do I have any veterans? Do I have any soldiers who would dare love your country? Oh, oh God, send revival among our Marines. Send revival among our soldiers. Oh, God, send revival to our cities. Send it to whole County. Send it to Gainesville. Send it to this church. Send it to every church in this community, oh God. Every denomination, every move, oh God. We ask for your power to be poured out. We believe. We believe. 
right now, every backslider, every person addicted, every person bound, every person suicidal, every person depressed, every person hating themselves, every person cutting themselves, every person torturing themselves, every person feeling like you just wish you could die. You almost hope you would get killed. You can't stand your life. I feel like if you'll get out of your seat, if your heart is broken, if your life is empty, if you will get out of your seat and run to this altar, there's a miracle. You will astonish you. Jesus, you will get the attention of God. Your faith will cause heaven to stand up. Don't sit there. Don't stand there. Move out by faith. Move. Why sit there until you die? Move. Move. Come home. Come home. Come home. Come up. Come out of that. Come out of that in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. Oh, I feel it at every campus. a miracle in your home, in your family, in your physical body, or someone that you love. Maybe you love somebody and they're sick and they're not able to be here. Get out of your seat and come on their behalf. Just like that man did. You're sending for help. You're sending for a word. Maybe you've got a drug addict. Maybe you've got an alcoholic in your family. Maybe somebody's so depressed that you've got them on a suicidal watch. Get out of your seat and come on their behalf. Come believing. Come with hands raised. Come saying, God, pat your chest and say, Lord, let my faith in your word, not in myself, but in your word. I don't have faith in my faith. I have faith in the worthy lamb of God. Let it marvel you. Let it stun you. Let it cause you to stagger. Oh, God, do it. Do it today. Now lift those hands. We decree miracles. We decree signs and wonders. We decree angelic visitations. We decree prophetic words. We decree direction. We decree ordered steps. We decree open prison doors. We decree chains dropping, chains breaking, lies of deception being peeled off. In the name of Jesus, 
clap your hands and give the Lord a mighty praise. You believe it? Everybody in this room say, Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. You are the Word. You are the Word clothed in flesh. In the beginning was the Word. So you are God. And today, I receive you as my Savior, as my Deliverer, as my Healer, as my Provider. I cast it all at your feet. I just worship you. Give me a new spirit of adoration. Give me a new joy in praise. Let something, let us, let us, I, I, I just see a, a light switch, an old school light switch. Flip the switch and turn the praise back on, the gratitude back on, the worship back on in my walk with you. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin and thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at jensenfranklin.tv.